you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Acts. And if you'll find your way to Acts chapter 14 this morning, our text will be verses 29, excuse me, 19 through 23. Acts 14 verses 19 through 23. And I want to talk with you guys this morning from God's word about perseverance. We've talked about perseverance many times, but I want to talk to you about persevering. For the good of the church. Persevering for the good of the church. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we're grateful for this Lord's Day. We're grateful for a place to gather. We are very grateful for the partnership in the gospel that we have with Treasure Island Baptist Church. It really does speak to the fact that the way that you design the body of Christ to work is partnerships in the gospel that you call people from darkness to light and you place them in a family and and then that family that local church works together with other local churches to advance the kingdom and so God we're just very grateful this morning very humbled this morning by the example that Treasure Island has set for us on how to use what you've given us to help other people. And so, Lord, they have invested us in us in many ways over the years. And so, God, uh, we pray a special blessing upon them, upon Pastor Doug and his leadership. And, Father God, we pray that you continue to grow them in grace and godliness. Father, I pray for us this morning as we turn our attention to your word. First of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. God, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've blessed us with. You've blessed us with yourself so that you can help us understand the scriptures and help us to understand what we need to do with your word and how we would need to apply your word to our lives. And so, God, we pray for the illumination of your spirit this morning. That you'll move in our hearts, that you'll move in our will, that you'll move in our emotions, God. That we won't fight against the truth, but we'll embrace the truth. And Father, I also pray for anyone that's here or anyone that will be listening later that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for them. That, Father, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ today. So, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for this word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to study. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If we've learned anything in the book of Acts, as we've just kind of been going through it, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, one of the things that we've learned is that the advancement of the kingdom for the first century Christians was a struggle. Amen. I mean, they advanced the kingdom by God's grace, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit through lots of trials, through lots of hardship, and through lots of adversity. And it came in different sizes, and it came in different shapes, and it came in different ways, and it came in different waves even. But the first century Christians really set a good example for us of what it looks like uh, to persevere. So when we come back to the book of Acts this morning, we're going to see the exact same thing. We're going to see 
these first century Christians, in particular the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, setting an example for us of yet again persevering in the midst of hardship, adversity, and suffering. Not only are we going to see that, but we're going to see something that we haven't really keyed in on a lot so far, which is not only is it a blessing for us to persevere, not only do we benefit when we persevere in God's grace, we grow in Christ's likeness. We're blessed for that. But so does the church. I don't think you've ever really thought about that much. But your personal perseverance in the faith is bigger than your personal perseverance in the faith. You benefit and you, you're blessed by that. I benefit and I'm blessed by that when I persevere. But it's not really about us, is it? The church as a whole is benefited and blessed when each one of us individually, when each family unit, when each of us continue to persevere in the faith, the church is built, the church is strengthened and the kingdom is advanced. So I want you to think about that this morning because that's really what we're going to key in on. That's really my aim, really, is just to look at the scripture and to show you that truth. So look with me at verse 19. Notice the text. The Bible says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Go back with me now to verse 19. I want you to think about what we just read. These Jews had come from Antioch, Pisidia, and they had come from Iconium. They came all the way from those two cities for the sole purpose of taking Paul out. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder him. They wanted to shut him up. They wanted to get rid of him. They didn't want to have to deal with him anymore. And just to give you a perspective of how far they actually traveled to accomplish this task, they, they traveled a distance of over 100 miles. This is about 100 miles from Antioch, Pisidia, and then to uh, Iconium, and then on to, to Lystra. So, so this was no small task. This was not just a, a walk down the street or not just a couple of miles down the road. This was an intentional, premeditated act of these Jews for the sole purpose of killing Paul and killing Barnabas. Now, notice what happens. I want you to think about this. 
So they travel, they travel that far and then they persuade these crowds. And when they persuade these crowds and they convince these crowds, they change the crowd's minds to not be for Paul, to not be for Barnabas, but to be against him. This might be a good place to remind ourselves of why these crowds needed their minds changed. It's because just a few verses earlier when Paul and Barnabas came to Lystra and they performed this miracle and healed somebody that the crowds erupted and said that Paul and Barnabas were some kind of Greek gods, part of Greek mythology and began to worship them. Do you remember that? And then Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 no. We're not Greek gods. We are men of the same stuff, substance and stuff as you. We are, are sinners just like you. We are image bearers just like you. And, and we have come to tell you about the one true and living God. And then they called them to repent. And they called them to turn from their idols to God. And the reality is, as we'll talk about a little bit later, there were people that actually repented and believed the gospel when that happened. And then we can think about a little bit further, what further back in time, what happened in uh, Iconium and how Paul and Barnabas had been driven from Iconium because of preaching the gospel and that there had been a, a desire to get rid of them there. We could we could back up from Iconium and go even further to Antioch, Pisidia and how they were driven out of Antioch, Pisidia. We could back up even further, could we not? And go all the way to Bar-Jesus when, when Paul and Barnabas, early on in this first missionary journey, began to share the gospel and Bar-Jesus begins to oppose the gospel message. This whole missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas was, was, a, was a difficult thing filled with trials and filled with tribulation, filled with hardship, filled with suffering. What you think about that? Every step... Every moment, whether it was people wanting to get rid of them or John Mark deserting them, it was filled with things that were very difficult and very hard. But yet through it all, we've seen them persevere. And I look back at the text and we're going to see them persevere again. In fact, if we're honest, this is mind blowing, is it not? Because this is a moment where we have to say that we as Americans are so emotionally fragile that the moment someone thinks something wrong about us, the moment that someone says something about us, the moment that something happens to us, what do we naturally want to do? We want to quit, don't we? We do. In fact, if, it, if I just ask for a show of hands, myself included, if I were to ask over the last week, over the last two weeks, over the last month, has something happened that's made you want to quit your job? Made you want to quit walking with Christ? Made you want to quit your family? Maybe you made, maybe made you want to quit your friendships? Probably all of us would say, yep, that's me. I've struggled. I've thought about it. It's crossed my mind. There's an example for us that Paul and Barnabas set. And they set another example for us. Again, look back at the text. I mean... They hit Paul with stones so much that all these crowds have been persuaded to now be against him. Knock him out. They drag him out of the city. They leave him for dead. The disciples gather around him in verse 20. Now, I don't know how this happened, Miss Stacy. You have medical experience as a PA. I don't know how this happens. Doesn't make sense. I've thought about this so much. How does a man not have a brain injury? 
How does he not have a concussion? Have you not watched sports when people get concussed? That is a word. They don't think right for a while. They don't act right for a while. They can't even talk right for a while. My goodness. We have tests to see, are you right in the head? And this is people that wear helmets. He had no helmet. Now, I don't know how all this went down. I don't want to add too much to the text, but somehow, someway, God had intervened. That's all we can say. Because look at the text. This man has been left for dead, and he gets up. That's pretty mind-blowing. He gets back up again. But that's not it. Look at the text. He gets back up, and what does he do? He goes back. He goes back not to Antioch, the church that sent him out. He goes back to the people that just tried to stone him and kill him. He gets back up, and he, and he goes back. He perseveres again. It's pretty, pretty amazing. But that's not it. As if that's not enough, look back at the text. Same verse, verse 20. And on the next day, he and Barnabas traveled to where? They traveled to Derby. You know what this means? They keep on keeping on. Because there's more people that need to hear the gospel. There's more people that need to hear about Christ. So they keep on keeping on. Now notice verse 21. They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel to the people in, in Derby. And, and, and notice what happens. What does the text say? There's a lot of people that come to faith in Christ. The text says they made many disciples. This is an interesting word choice where that word many is. There, there's a couple of different options that you could use in the Greek to express numerical value. And this particular word that's used in the Greek to express the numerical value of the people that the amount of people that came to faith in Christ could be translated in this way. It could be translated as a big magnitude of number. Maybe in the South, we would say a whole pile of people. A whole pile of people came to faith in Christ, not just one, not just two, not just three, not just four, not just 10, 20, 30, 40. We don't know how many, but the text could, the word could be translated as a multitude. And I thought about this, Pastor Eric, how many times does true and lasting spiritual fruit come on the heels of us actually persevering through adversity? So many times we quit too soon. So many people came to faith in Christ. I bet those people were thankful that Paul and Barnabas persevered. But you know what? That's not all. Not only did they go to Derby, but keep going in the text. Because this is mind-blowing as well. Look at the text. Look at verse 21. They, they share the gospel in Derby. Many people come to faith in Christ and and then the text says that they return to where? Look at it. Lystra, Iconium, and then they're back to Antioch, Pisidia. They go all the way back to every single city that did not want them there. It's interesting, is it not? Now remember what I said at the beginning. We're so emotionally fragile, so caught up in ourselves that the moment somebody says anything about us, we just wilt like, like, like a flower. 
But God in his grace had given them what they needed to understand that that it wasn't about about them. And, and, and they go back to Lystra and Iconium and, and Antioch. And, and I want you to think about this. One of the commentators said this about this moment in time for them. They could have actually gone back to their sending church to Antioch. And it would have been a much where they were situated at Derby. It would have been a much shorter trip to go a different way. But, you know, we have a saying, go around your elbow to get to your thumb. That's what they do when they go back to Lystra and Derby and Iconium. They're ultimately heading back to their sending church, but they go around their elbow to get to their thumb for a reason. I want you to think about that. What's that reason? Like, why would they do this? Humanly speaking, it doesn't make any sense. I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest before you this morning. If somebody ran me out of town, if somebody ran me out of the church, if somebody hated me, I'm probably 99.9999999% sure I'm not going to really want to talk to them anymore. I'm just being honest. That's probably where I'm going to land. Spirit's going to have to do a pretty major work in my heart. To make me get to the point where I would go back to Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. I'm probably going to be like, God, you got the wrong guy. Old Barney, he's good. He's an encourager. I'm out. I'm probably not going to do that. So the question is, why? Let me give you three answers. First of all, here's the reality. They were already dead to themselves. And we know that, right? We know that that's true, that, that we are dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. And this is one of those moments in time where it's so easy to say and know that that verse is true in Galatians 2.20, where Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but this life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's easy to say. It's easy to get a bumper sticker that says that. It's easy to get it on my screensaver. It's easy to put it on my lock screen on my phone. It's easy to get a tattoo that says Galatians 2.20. It's hard to live. It's hard to live. But the reason that they were able to go back was because they realized that their life was not their own. There's another reason why they went back as well. They also went back because they understood suffering personally and the role of suffering personally. In fact, take a look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Pastor Eric read this as our call to worship, but I want us to go back to it and look at it again. We've done a good job over the years trying to wrap our minds around the truth that we have a sovereign God and that our sovereign God is good and that all he does is good. His ways are good. And so therefore, when things come in our lives that are difficult, things that come in our lives that are hard, we've, we've learned over the years from this constant study of the scriptures that God is good. He's not against us. He's for us. And that somehow, some way, he'll work it out for our good. We know that. In fact, that's what this text is telling us. Look at verse 17 again. 
What is this light momentary affliction doing for us? It doesn't always feel light, does it? <laughs> it doesn't always feel momentary, does it? But it is. But what is it doing? Look at the text. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. God's using all that adversity. God's using all that suffering. God's using all that hardship. God's using all the stuff that we're going through. We know to ultimately make us more like Christ. Amen. Nothing is wasted. It's never wasted in God's economy. It may not make sense in our economy, but in God's economy, we know we've taught, we, we've been taught, we've learned. The scriptures testify to the fact that God uses all things for good. Somehow, some way. So they understood this. I mean, this is what Paul is writing about. He's ultimately saying everything that I'm going through, even being stoned, even being left for dead, even being driven out of town after town after town after town. I know that somehow, some way, God's going to be glorified and he's going to use it to make me more like Jesus. He knew that. And by God's grace, we know that. But there's another reason. This is what I want us to really think about. Go with me to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Here's the other reason. Proper understanding of suffering helps us understand that my personal suffering is for the church. It's for the benefit of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not saying that we're doing anything wrong. It's just that we need to connect the next dot. Because so many times we don't connect that dot. We only stop at what I just said a minute ago about 2 Corinthians 4. Which praise God is true. That God is using that for, uh, for, for our good. And that God's conforming us to the image of Christ. So often we stop there. And this text is helping us understand to not stop there. But to connect the next dot. And the next dot that we need to connect is every adversity. Every hardship. Every trial, no matter what it looks like, God is using not only for my benefit, but for the church's benefit. Brothers and sisters, this is a message that we really need to hear as individualistic Americans. God saves us, calls us out of the world, puts us into a community of faith, a community of faith. The ecclesia, the church are the called out ones. And then God puts us in a body and everything we go through individually and everything we go through as a family. Ultimately, guys, we're going through as a, as a body. Even if it's suffering. That's why Paul would say that we rejoice together, that we sorrow together, that we cry together, that we rejoice, that we do all these things together. Look at verse 22 with me in 2 Corinthians 11. Really familiar. But, but think about what he says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Whew. If we could insert emoji PT, it would be the emoji with the sweat drop coming down. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 28. Listen to what he's saying. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for what? For the churches. Who is he ultimately thinking about? Not himself, not necessarily his own personal growth. But ultimately, in his mind, there was something else that he was focused on. He had died in himself. He was alive in Christ. He had wrapped his mind around how God uses suffering personally. But then he also understood that everything that we just read about helped with the churches as well. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 24. There's more here, but I don't have time to get to it. But just look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now listen, what's the purpose? Look at the text for the sake of whose body? Christ's body. Who is that? He identifies it for us right there in the verse. It's the who? It's the church. I'm going through all of this, not just because of me, not just because God's going to make me more like Christ, but I'm going through all of this because of, ultimately, he's telling the Colossians, because of you. That's not all. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And go to verse 10. Look at the text. Notice what he says. Therefore, I endure everything. Everything that we just read about in, in 2 Corinthians 11. I endure all these things. Why, Paul? For who? For the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Can I bring this to 2022? Did we not just read something that Paul wrote? You benefit from his suffering and his writings. So do I. Isn't that awesome? We talked a little bit about this as a leadership team last Sunday when we met. When we met and I kind of asked him this question. This is a hypothetical question we know. But it's worth asking and thinking about. What if Paul would have quit? What if he would have quit? 
How much of the New Testament did God inspire the Apostle Paul to write? A lot of it. What kind of example did he set for us? He set an example for us to persevere even when things are hard. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep the main thing the main thing. But all that short-circuited if you would have quit. Isn't that interesting? It's just worth taking a, a minute to think about it from a different angle. That Praise God he, he, he didn't quit. Now, go back to the text that we are studying in Acts 14. Because there's still some meat on those bones, aren't there? Look with me at verse 22. This is what he does for the church. This is why he goes back. First, what does he do to the souls of the disciples? What does the text say? He strengthens them. What does it mean to strengthen something? It means that you help something that's weak. Do any of you have weakness in your life? Do any of you have weakness in your walk? Do any of you have weakness at any point in your soul? And I love the word choice soul because that's more than our flesh. That's the deepest part of who we are. There are all, all of us have weaknesses. So Paul is a good pastor. He's going back to shore up the weaknesses in these young believers. Think about the world that they are living in and think about the world that they came to faith in Christ in. My goodness, those new Christians in Lystra had just come to faith in a community that worshiped Greek gods, thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and well, who was it, Hermes, tried to then stone them, turned on them like that. What a crazy society to live in. The reason he went back is because he cared about people like that. Because he knew that he needed to strengthen them on their inner man. Look at the text. Look back at the text. What does it say? He doesn't just strengthen them, but he encourages them. And if you've ever been discouraged, you know how valuable encouragement is. There's nothing like it. It literally is like a first aid ointment to a wound. It really is. Nothing heals us like that. It's awesome. But that's not all. Not only do they strengthen, not only do they encourage, but Chima, look at the text. They told him the truth. Aren't you thankful? Look at the truth. They say, listen, we love you enough to tell you the truth. Here's the truth. It's going to be through a lot of hardships that we enter in the kingdom of God. In fact, look at the text where it says must. It's the word day in Greek, and it, it means it's necessary. There's no other way around it. And Christ used the same word when he said that it was necessary for him to suffer on the cross. There was no other way around it. Same word here about all of us that this fallen world that we live in. There's no other way around it than to navigate through it as we enter the kingdom of God. That's why Bunyan talked about people entering the kingdom of God with violence. Remember that in Pilgrim's Progress? And that's not all that he does. So he strengthens, he encourages, he tells the truth. And then look at verse 23. What does he do? You got this, these, all these new believers and all these new churches. And what do these new believers and need, these new churches need? They need leaders. They need somebody that will shepherd them. 
They need somebody that will care for them. They need somebody that will teach them. They need somebody that will love them. They need somebody that will come alongside of them. They need somebody that will help them. They need somebody that will strengthen them, encourage them, and tell them the truth. That's what a pastor does. They need preachers. They need elders. This is why he went back. Humanly speaking, it doesn't make any sense. Paul, why would you go back? They just tried to kill you. I'm going back for the church. I'm going back for my brothers. I'm going back for my sisters. I'm going back to set the church in order so that they can have a place in the community where they can gather and be fed and be loved and that church can grow and the kingdom can advance. Ooh, that's convicting. Because if we're honest, I think we struggle with the Galatians 2.20, the dying to self. And then I think the struggle is greater when it comes to embracing hardship and adversity with right perspective. And man, when you get to this last thing that he does, he goes up so many levels, it's not even funny. Because we're like, whoa, Lord. But I want you to think about this. When you personally persevere, it's for the good of the body of Christ as a whole. It's for the good of the body of Christ as a whole. It's the way God's designed it to work. But we're struggling together. Pretty awesome. Now notice the last thing that they do there in verse 23. Pastor Eric, this is so awesome. Pastor Tom, this is so awesome. I think this is what a pastor does. They pray, they fast, and then the text says that they commit these new believers to the Lord. They commit these leaders to the Lord and the new believers to the Lord. I think it's inclusive. It's all of them. That word commit in the Greek paints a picture for us. Like when you go down to the bank and you put your check or you've got direct deposit, however money gets into your bank account. It's deposited there. It's committed to the bank to be held safely and secure. That's the picture that's there. That through prayer and through fasting and through ministering to these people, they submit and entrust them to God for God's safekeeping and growth. Why would they do that? Well, we know that God's the author of our growth. But Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to do, to do what? They're getting ready to leave. They're not going to be there forever. So it's as if they're saying, Lord, we commit all of this work to you. We commit these churches to you. We commit these people to you. We commit these leaders to you. We commit these pastors to you. So that you, by your glory and your grace in this wicked and awful world, you continue to grow them and conform them to the image of Christ. And that they will be a church planning church. That they will be a church that makes disciples. And that your kingdom will continue to advance because you're moving us on to do the same thing somewhere else. So what's going on in this text? Isn't that awesome? So here's what I want you to think about this week. Have you died to self when it comes to just persevering through the word? I mean through the world. And that won't be a one-time thing. Do you personally embrace suffering with the right perspective and then 
secondly, closely tied to that, do you see that suffering as being good for the church? Because it is. I think my final exhortation is be careful of isolationism. Nothing short, short circuits the work of God like isolating and hiding and withdrawing from the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture. It's so needed for me. It's so needed for us. I don't think I'm alone, God. Uh, we're a product of our culture more than we want to admit, God. We're also emotionally fragile. But I thank you that we're not what we once were. And that because of your spirit's work in us and because of your word, God, you're constantly conforming us to the image of Christ. And we pray that you continue to do that, God. Help us to embrace suffering with the right perspective. To not grow weary in doing good because we understand it benefits us, yes, but it also benefits the church. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand on your feet as we worship the Lord through song.